Good morning. It is a, it's a real privilege to be able to be with you this morning and to be able to speak uh, for your church. I'm especially grateful for the ways that uh, you have supported our work at Jericho Road really for many years. Your faithful support has helped us do our work in Buffalo and around the world. And I'm so it's an honor to be with you this morning. I also regret that I'm sitting in front of a computer um, talking to you instead of actually being able to be in person. This pandemic has taken so much from us and has caused so much suffering. And uh, one of the things it's taken is our ability to really um, meet in person on a Sunday morning. And so, you know, we have hope as the numbers improve or the, over the coming months that someday uh, this pandemic will, will, will no longer be with us and the suffering will be over. So I just want to thank, thank you again for your faithfulness and for giving me this opportunity. My, my topic this morning is entitled, Now He Had to Go Through Samaria, A Challenge to the Church to Actually Follow Jesus. And it's taken out of John chapter 4, uh, the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. I appreciate that you guys already had a chance to hear that scripture being read. And, and so I'd just like to get started. Uh, but before I do so, I'd, I just want to say a, a prayer. God, I just thank you this morning for this opportunity to be here with this church. Thank you for their faithful service to you and for the way they've supported our work in Buffalo. I ask now that you will guide my heart, you'll give me the words to speak, and that we can honor you through our time together this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman uh, as told in John chapter 4, uh, is a great story, one of my favorite um, of all the Gospels. Jesus and his disciples had to go from Jerusalem to Galilee. And normally, they would go sort of around Samaria. But this time, Jesus decided to go through Samaria. And it was probably a hot, dusty journey I'm sure it's what back then that, you know, they mostly walked. And um, so they, they got going and midday, uh, Jesus was tired and they decided to, to, to rest. Uh, Jesus stayed by a well right on the outskirts of a village and told the disciples, go on into town and find some food for us because we're hungry. As he was sitting there just waiting, uh, this Samaritan woman came by to, to the well. And, you know, Jesus was uh, a Jewish man, and this woman uh, was Samaritan, was an outcast, and there really was no reason for them to engage at all in any conversation. But instead, breaking all kinds of barriers, Jesus reached out to the woman, and they had this amazing conversation, which ended up changing her life and the life, and, and really changed her village. And... I, I think that this, this story uh, has such relevance to us as followers of Jesus today and to the church in America. And so I wanted to sort of break this down um, and um, um, give you a sense of, of what I see out of this, uh, this passage. In my mind, 
the main takeaway of this incredible story is that when Jesus reconciles us to God, we also get recon reconciled to each other. That ethnic, cultural, racial, and religious barriers are broken down. So I just wanted to sort of set the stage for this story and for my, my talk this morning with giving a, a deeper sort of look at who the Samaritan woman was that Jesus met at the well and what she represented. First of all, she is a woman. She lived in a patriarchal, male-dominated society where women were considered inferior to men. In the Greek literature of the time, there was these sayings. One was that a woman is twice as bad as a man. Another was, uh, a woman is never to be trusted on any account. There was even this saying that um, Plato and Aristotle and some of these people that we've read and studied and maybe even admired um, would say, uh, maybe on a daily basis, they would say, I thank God that I was not born uncivilized, a slave or a woman. Even the Torah or the five books of the law, uh, including Deuteronomy, um, really in their pages codified a legal system that uh, treated women differently than men. Adultery was a crime that was punishable by death, by stoning for a woman, but not for a man. In her society at that time, only a man could divorce a woman. They could do it for any reason. All they had to do was show up in the public square and say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Women had no such option. And in this story, the Samaritan woman had been divorced five times by five different men. Who knows why? Who knows what were the reasons that they each gave? This woman was no stranger to rejection and to discrimination. This is who Jesus met at the well. She was also a Samaritan. Samaritans were descendants of Jews and Gentiles. About 800 years before Jesus came to this earth, uh, Israel as a nation was defeated by the Assyrian army. And many of the Jewish people were taken into captivity in Babylon. But a remnant were left behind. And some of these people intermarried with the Assyrians who were still living in that region. And their offspring became known as Samaritans. Now the Samaritans spoke the same language as the Jewish people. They worshiped the same God. They did have a different version of the Torah and they did worship God on a different mountain. But in many ways, they were very similar to the Jewish people of that time. But the Jews hated the Samaritans. They treated them as half-breed dogs. There was no intermarrying. And even the road from Jerusalem to Galilee was, went around Samaria. It skirted the, the, the border of Samaria so that the Jewish people would not have to actually go into Samaria. 
to travel. Jesus knew of this hatred well. I'm sure he had grown up, grown up hearing about the Samaritans and how bad they were. I mean, that's how hatred and racism gets, um, um, you know, transferred from generation to generation. And I'm sure Jesus had that same, you know, grew up with that same stuff that everyone around him grew up with. But the amazing thing about our God and Jesus as a son of God is that they refused to, to, to act in that way. Jesus refused to, to take on the hatred and the, the bitterness and the racism of that time against the Samaritan people. And instead, he stood for something different. I love the story of the Good Samaritan as told in Luke 10, where Jesus makes the hero of that story be a Samaritan man who stops and really goes out of his way to help a Jewish man who had been beat up and left for dead by robbers. The Samaritan man um, takes him to a hospital, pays for his um, uh, room, and, and helps him get better. And to the Jewish people of that time, Jesus telling this story must have been so revolutionary. That's who Jesus is. And, you know, that story, the Good Samaritan story, it form the basis for uh, our name, Jericho Road, and our desire and call to love our neighbor. Jesus knew well what it meant for him to decide to take his disciples into Samaria. And finally, this woman was not only a woman and a uh, uh, um, Samaritan, she was uh, uh, an outcast. Not She was outcast and rejected by her own people. She had been rejected by five men, maybe powerful men in that village. And now she was living with a man and was breaking religious rules by not being married to him. She had been beaten down for many years. The story kind of hints at, at her being an outcast by having her come to the well in the middle of the day when the sun was bearing down, when no one else was supposed to be there. She probably wasn't welcome when the other women would come at the beginning of the day or the end of the day to draw water. Maybe she didn't want to be there and hear what they were saying about her. Even the writer of the story uh, didn't mention her name. I'd like to pause just for a few minutes uh, from this story and, and, and consider uh, with you who today are the marginalized, the outcast, the, the vulnerable, uh, the discriminated against in our society. You know, my wife Joyce and I, in 1997, uh, started Jericho Road as a medical practice. And our, our vision our mission was to, to, to understand that all, God, all are created in God's image and everyone needs access to good quality health care. And, and, and so that's what we tried to do. Joyce and I were born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Our parents were Amish, uh, and then they became Amish Mennonite. 
When, when I was three, my parents moved to Central America and were missionaries there until I was 14. It was in Belize where I saw the medical need, uh, the inequity, and decided that someday I was going to be a medical doctor myself and be a missionary doctor somewhere. I, we moved back to, to the United States I, 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 when I was 14. I went to high school here. I went to college here. It, I lived a pretty sheltered life. It wasn't until I, uh, Joyce and I moved to Buffalo and I went to medical school here at UB. And in, our third and, in my third and fourth year, the, the, I did my clinical rotations. And, you know, in this country, uh, the education of our doctors is born on the backs of the poor. And so I saw firsthand the way the poor were treated in our city, the way the poor were treated by the medical system. And I saw firsthand the inequity. And it's in, in that moment, that time, that the, God's call on my life changed. And no longer was it to go to another country and be a medical missionary, but it was to stay here in Buffalo and to, to start Jericho Road and to make a way for the poor to be treated well. And, you know, for the last 24 years, I've had this opportunity, this front row seat to witness the injustice in our healthcare system and the injustice in our world, not just in healthcare, but the way people are treated. And, and, and so I just wanted to share a few of the people with you, a few of the stories of the people that I've met along the way that in some way remind me of, of the Samaritan woman at the well, the person that Jesus met that day. I think of Michael. Michael uh, is someone that we met at Jericho Road because he was our FedEx driver. He would drop off packages. And I think maybe 10 years ago, he lost his job at FedEx. And he decided to um, go to Elma, New York, and start a horse farm. And he lost his health insurance. And he was a pretty healthy guy, mid-40s, and I didn't see him very much. But last year, one Friday afternoon, I got a call from Michael, and he said, Dr. Glick, I'm, I've been sick for a while now. Uh, I have fever. I'm just not doing well. Uh, would you see me? I don't know what to do. I don't have health insurance. And so I said, Michael, of course, come in now. And I was, I was really shaken when I went in the room that afternoon at the end of my schedule to see Michael because he, he was sick. He had a fever. He had clear evidence of widespread colon cancer that had been undiagnosed at that point. It was as bad as anything I've seen in Sierra Leone or Congo. And, you know, yes, we got him into the hospital right away. We advocated for him to get treatment, and he did start to get some treatment. But about three months later, I got a call in the middle of the night one, one, one night from his son, and he said, Dr. Glick, my dad just died. And my question is, um, what would Jesus do if he had met Michael at the well? I think of Eddie. I met, first met Eddie when I was doing my fellowship at ECMC in the year prior to, to starting Jericho Road, so a long time ago. Eddie was a gay man, and um, I developed a friendship with him over the years, took care of his medical problems, and I heard his story 
which he sort of gave to me in bits and pieces over the years. When Eddie came out as a gay man in his middle age, his family totally rejected him. And the church that he loved, that he was attending, um, rejected him. And he faced all kinds of difficult times, discrimination, um, and and it, and and for me, you know, I I grew up Mennonite. I grew up pretty sheltered. I I had not had a lot of um, friendships with folks who were um, a different sexual orientation. And yet Eddie was so kind. He was so generous. And, and his love for God was so clear that, that a real friendship developed and I was able to, to, to learn so much from him. My question is, what would Jesus do if he met Eddie at the well? I think of Alicia. I actually heard Alicia before I actually met her. Um, I was working at Jericho Road in, in the back uh, exam rooms, and I heard uh, this her mother screaming as she was bringing Alicia back for the first time to meet me. If she's pregnant, you're going to have to have an abortion. When I when I went in the room several month, several minutes later and met with Alicia, she was weeping. She was 15, and she said, "Dr. Glick, I don't want to get rid of this baby." And so, started a relationship with her, a friendship, and I was there for her and delivered her eight babies and I saw her graduate from high school and from college and even get a master's degree I saw her be a really good mom and yet I also saw the challenges of what it means to face generational poverty and to deal with hurts that's so deep uh, you know being uh, abused as a child um, dealing with uh, abusive relationships and this past year, you know, her house burned down, her husband divorced her, she's dealing with some real issues with her, with her children, and her anxiety is, is, is so difficult. And yet, I think about what would Jesus do if he met Alicia at the well? I think of Jimmy. When I first met Jimmy, probably 20 years ago, he was my patient. And he was a, a strong black man. He had graduated from high school, college, and the university. He was a grant, successful grant writer and executive director. And he ended up showing a real interest in our work and invested so much in friendship with me. He joined our board. We would meet at Spot Coffee at 6.30 in the morning and talk about ways that Jericho Road could have more impact in the, in the community. And I really grew to love and, and respect Jimmy. And his story was difficult. He had suffered much. You know, Jimmy's parents fled the Jim Crow South in the 1940s, basically as refugees, as part of the great migration of African Americans from the South to the North. But when his family came to Buffalo, they had to live on the East Side. Of Buffalo. There was no other place in Buffalo that was welcoming to him. Years and years of redlining, of all kinds of racist housing codes and housing policies had left African Americans with only one place to live, and that was east of Main Street. 
His mom pushed Jimmy hard as a kid, and he did well in school. When he was 16, he and his friends made a big mistake one day. They stole a TV from a local store. And for that, Jimmy was um, given a sentence of five years in prison. And he, he, he got out of prison pretty bitter and, and um, angry young man. And it took him probably 20 years. He was homeless. He, did, he suffered so much until one day um, God met him and his life changed and um, he, he became different. And, you know, I was with Jimmy the, the night he died. And I wonder, what would Jesus do if he met Jimmy at the well? I think of Phoebean. Phoebean uh, fled the, the horrible civil war in Sierra Leone with her family in 2001. She was a nurse in, in Freetown during the, the worst part of that war. She saw some, uh, so many atrocities. She barely escaped with her life. When she was in the refugee camp in Gambia, she was pregnant with her third child, and the doctors re refused to deliver her baby because she couldn't afford to pay them and because she was a refugee. And so Phoebean delivered her own baby, cut the cord, delivered the placenta, uh, did everything. And when she finally got the opportunity to come to the United States, as she was leaving Africa, she said, I will never go back. And yet, eight years ago, Phoebean moved back to Sierra Leone to lead the work of Jericho Road in that country. I think, what would Jesus do if he met uh, Phoebean at the well? And finally, I think of Solomon. Solomon uh, is an asylum seeker who I met last year at Jericho Road. He left Eritrea when he was 15 because he was afraid that he would, he knew that when he turned 16, he would get drafted by the oppressive regime there to serve in the military. The regime in Eritrea controls every aspect of, of, of the lives of the people. Um, what profession they go into, whether they serve in the military, and it's a very, very difficult life. And so per capita, Eritrea has more refugees than any other country in the, in the world. His journey from Eritrea to Buffalo took 10 years. He traveled through 18 countries and was imprisoned five times, two of them in Israel. He literally walked most of the way from Brazil to the U.S.-Mexico border, barely escaping with his life. And when he crossed the border, he was apprehended by U.S. border control agents and was put in prison again for nine months by us, by our country, until his asylum case was heard by a judge and he was released and given asylum status in this country. And today he lives in Buffalo and he's trying to make, his, make a life for himself. What would Jesus do if he met Solomon at the well? So let's get back to the story and, and think about what did Jesus do? And what does that mean for us today? First of all, I love the, the, the verse in this story where it said Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's really not true. He didn't have to choose to go to Galilee by traveling through Samaria. 
most of the Jews would go around. That's the way the road was built. Jesus felt compelled to go. It reminds me that following Jesus means that we are present with those who are suffering. It means that, that we don't run away from the injustice that we see in the world. We don't stay in our churches, in our homes, in our neighbors, separate from those around us. It means that we go towards uh, the injustice, that we do everything we can to break down those barriers, to be around people who are different than us. Jesus made a conscious choice that day, maybe knowing that he was going to meet that Samaritan woman. He made a conscious choice to go through Samaria. Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for help. This was a powerful gesture. Jesus was a Jewish man. And the Samaritan woman was an outcast. Jesus didn't have to reach out to her. He didn't have to say anything to her. But Jesus chose to engage. He chose to ask her for a drink, to ask her for help. He chose to give up his power, to give up his privilege, and to, to act on equal footing with this outcast Samaritan woman. And it reminds me that as followers of Jesus, it, we're compelled to give up our own privilege and our own power and to willingly engage with others. Jesus showed genuine love to this outcast woman who had lived a life of rejection by others. He already knew her story. He knew that she was an outcast. He knew that she had been rejected by five men. He knew that she was a Samaritan woman. But he showed love in that moment. This reminds me that following Jesus demands us showing unconditional love to others, no matter what. It's that love that makes the difference. That's how we change ourselves. That's how we change others around us. And that's how we change our world. That's that Jesus compels us to show unconditional love. And Jesus offered her living water. You know, basically what he was doing, he was taking or trading her pain, her rejection, her status as an outcast. He was exchanging that with this promise of living water, of eternal life, of a new way, a new life. That's what Jesus does when he meets us. And it reminds me that in God's kingdom, all are welcome. It doesn't matter who you've been, where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've chosen to love. What matters is that you have met Jesus. To his disciples, Jesus' actions that day were radical. He modeled a whole new way of love of a redemption, of acceptance. 
imagine their surprise, you know, when they came back to the well with their food and found Jesus talking to the Samaritan outcast woman. This was a shocking breach of protocol, and they would have recognized that immediately. And in fact, if you read the, the scripture, you could see what they're, what they're saying in thinking. They're thinking like, why is he doing that? But they don't actually say it to him because they know they can't challenge Jesus. Imagine also their consternation when the people of the village invite them to stay and Jesus actually accepts. And for the next two days, they are, are living in this village, eating, sharing food, breaking all kinds of cultural and ethnic and, and, and religious barriers. Imagine their shock when the, many of the Samaritans decided to follow Jesus. This reminds me that following Jesus, we need to model this new way in all of our actions. Just like Jesus modeled this way to his disciples, this is also modeling for us how we should be living. You know, because Jesus broke the cultural, racial, religious barriers of that time, many believed. And it reminds me that the world judges us as followers of Jesus, not so much by our words or what we do on Sunday morning, but it, it judges us by our actions. How do we show love? How do we um, reach out to those who are discriminated against? How do we fight for justice? People know the story of Jesus and they measure us by that story by his actions. That's how we're measured. So in conclusion, this powerful story shows us that when Jesus reconciles us to God, we get reconciled to each other. All kinds of walls and barriers that we build up between us get broken down. You know, the, the power of this story is that it's not just a me and Jesus relationship. It's not just my relationship with God that counts. But the power of the story is that relationship with God is what then helps me um, show love to my neighbor. There's a horizontal aspect to, our, to what it means to follow Jesus. This example of Jesus is a clear challenge to the church in America today. Too many of us have lost our way. We've allowed cultural and religious and racial differences to wall us off from our neighbors. We hang out with people who are like us. We go to church with people who look like us. We don't even know sometimes of what other people are going through. This story is a direct challenge to that life. And the past four years, too many in the church have chosen to follow and put their trust in a president who has fanned these flames of division, of racism, of bigotry, and of hatred against the other. We've too often confused patriotism and being American 
with following Jesus. You know, last month, those horrific images of the insurrection at the Capitol, you know, what struck me the most was the photo of a sign that said, by, that someone was carrying that said, Jesus saves. Or that several people were carrying a wooden cross and were praying. Or that the Confederate flag was walked through the Capitol. These images are in direct, uh, directly opposed, direct opposition to the teachings of Jesus. They're antithetical to Jesus' teachings. And, you know, I think it's time for us, for those of us in the church who profess the name of Jesus, to decide to actually follow the life and teachings of the historical Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. So much of is broken in our world that cries out for healing, that cries out for Jesus' touch. It's time for us, it's time for the church in America to allow Jesus to shine through us, through our actions, through our words, for us to truly follow Jesus. So I just want to thank you this morning for this opportunity, and God bless each of you.